All right, uh, as we are going to Joshua, I hope you can make the shift. I'm going to read a long passage this morning, and a lot of times we're going to come up on a long passage. Sometimes I'll read all of it, sometimes I won't. But I thought since this is the very first one, I'll read all the way through it. So if you found Joshua 1, why don't you stand and we'll read together God's Word. And if you're a guest or you're new to Hickory Grove, this is sort of what we do. We just go to a book in the Bible. We believe it's God's Word and just study the book. We'll go all the way through and just let the messages come out of the Bible. That way I'm not making up stuff. We're not picking topics. It comes right out of the Bible. This morning we're starting the book of Joshua. Joshua 1 verses 1 through 9. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, it shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all of the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall never depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Join me as we pray. So, Father, I pray that you would help us. There are men and women here wondering what the next step is. What now? God, I pray that through your word you'll speak to them by your spirit. We pray that you would heal broken hearts, that you would patch up wounded souls, that you would encourage those that are spiritually depressed, that you would strengthen those that feel weak, that you would walk next to those that need support. We ask you to speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Frank Solerio was a Frenchman. When I say Frenchman, what I mean when we live in southwest Mississippi, a Frenchman is a Cajun. And a Cajun is a certain kind of person. Frank was a great friend to me. He was a great Christian man. He was a leader in the small church that I served in Amit County, Mississippi. He was rugged. He was resourceful. He had worked in the oil fields, but his, his real passion was training horses and, and really a very specific kind of horse, a cutting horse. 
that are used for herding cattle and showing and rodeos. And Frank would eat anything. He would fix boudin and fix uh, gumbo, and I never would eat his gumbo. I don't know. He, he, he might have put muskrat or alligator in that gumbo. I'm not eating it. But Frank made one thing that, that I loved to eat, and that was his lemon meringue pie. Strangely, this big Cajun man was able to make the best lemon meringue pie. He called me one day to come over and get one of the pies that he'd made, and it, I was glad to go. I hadn't seen him in a while. He'd been under the weather, and so it was good to go and visit and it was good to uh, see him up and around and get to spend some time with Frank. And it was even better to get that lemon meringue pie that I was going to get. We sat there, visited for a while. But while we were talking, tragedy struck. Frank's a big, strong man. And there he slumped over in his chair. And he did with, uh, with such a movement that it, it, it crumpled him over into the floor and I distinctly remember his head hitting a hardwood floor. Just by instinct, I dropped down the floor, and I, I, I just wanted to hold his head up off the floor. His wife, Bonnie, came in, and she called 911. The paramedics got there, pronounced him dead where he lay. Pulmonary thrombosis. And I remember sitting there with Bonnie on the floor, and the very first thing she said as she looked at me was, what am I going to do now? Can't you imagine that's how Joshua felt in the text? What am I going to do? I certainly imagine that, that some of you sitting here have, have had something happen that so wrecked everything else previously to it that you're wondering, what am I going to do? And if that's you, then there are some good things for you in the book of Joshua. There are enough people in the Christian world, there are enough people in our church that right now feel untethered, that feel shell-shocked, that, that feel as if you're not exactly certain what the way forward is. I think you're going to like the book of Joshua. Joshua is such an important book. Remember when we preach uh, expositionally, you, you take a passage and you teach that passage, but you're always aware that passage is in a book. Well, this is the book of Joshua. Then you're aware that, that the book of Joshua is in line on the Old Testament. So it's right after the first five books that Moses wrote. But then you realize that it's in the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. And so you remember that this book must be interpreted and looked at as to where is it going. Joshua is such an important book as it, it is an extension of a reminder that God is, is moving. I mean, even as you, as you read it, you see there even in verse 2 where God says to Joshua, Moses is dead. And so Joshua now is faced with the question, Okay, everything I've known is changed. What do I do now? The book of Joshua deals with one very important stage in God's good, his good plan to save the world. You see, the people of Israel, if you, if you 
if you're kind of learning the Bible, the people of Israel, they had not yet gone into what we know as the land of Israel, the promised land. Their leader, their liberator, Moses, is dead. He's gone. And, and now they've got to find a way to get into the land. Joshua has to lead them into this promised land. They've got to settle it. They've got to live there for generations so that they can prepare for another Joshua coming, Jesus Christ, who would be born in that land, who would preach in that land, who would work miracles in that land, who would be crucified there in the promised land, crucified in the place of sinners. God would raise him from the dead in that same land. And this book, the book of Joshua, this book is about God keeping His promises and taking care of His people. The people couldn't be paralyzed anymore. Neither can you. It was time, by God's good grace, it was time to move forward. And for some of you, it's time. So of all the things when we read this passage today, of all the things that you might see in this passage, I hope that you will believe that in Christ, this is what I would write down, in Christ we keep going forward. In Christ we keep going forward. Now you might wonder, how do we do that? Well, let's take the passage, let's use the Bible and answer the question. How do we do it? Well, number one, here's the first one. Number one, we can't live in the past. You. You can't live back there, even if the past is very recent. Now, I know this is a history book, and I really do love history. I'm usually, if I'm reading a book, it's probably, if it's not theology or church related, it's, it's history. And I do love history, but we, we can't live there. We've got to keep history where it is, and it's in the rearview mirror. Now look, God has put air in your lungs. God has put light in your eyes. And no matter what the challenge is, I don't know what it is you're facing. It doesn't matter to me. No matter what the challenge is, you are God's child if you are in Christ, and God's people keep moving forward. That seems to be what God is saying to Joshua right down there in verse 2. Come down to verse 2 and there you'll see what does God say to Joshua? Something he already knows. Moses, Moses, my servant is dead. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's unnerving. Yes, what you're facing calls into question what does the future look like for you. But, but in the passage, God now is calling Joshua to, to step up. I mean, look at verse 2. To step up and lead. Arise. Now, jo Joshua, look. That's over. Moses is dead. Now, now get up. As one preacher said when he looked at this passage, uh, that God, God puts down one instrument, Moses, and he picks up another instrument, Joshua. Now, now, Moses is a titanic figure. We all know that. Moses is a titanic figure in the history of God's people. I mean, think about all the things that he did. Go and read about him in Exodus. He conf Confronting Pharaoh, 
read about him leading the people up to the Red Sea and the wall of water on either side and leading them across that. Think about him spending 40 days on the Mount, on Mount Sinai. He actually saw God write the Ten Commandments with his finger onto the stone. I mean, Joshua, Joshua would never live up to that. Even in their titles, and we'll talk about it a little later, even in their titles, I mean, I mean, Moses' title is Servant of the Lord. Joshua's title is Assistant to Moses. I mean, he's not the regional man manager. He's not even the assistant to the regional manager. And, and yet God says to him, Moses, a new day has dawned. Now you've got to get up. And you've got to start moving. There are things for you specifically to do. Whatever misgivings, whatever problems Joshua had about the past, let me talk to you. Whatever you can look back there and see. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you've, you've come to the cross, you put your faith in Jesus, whatever is back there, whatever sin has been committed against you, if you're dragging that around, it is, it is not helpful to your walk. Whatever sins you've committed, if you've come to the cross and you've confessed your sins and you've, you've sought forgiveness from God at the cross of Jesus. Now look, guilt, guilt is a handmaiden that takes you to the cross, but after it does that, it's no good to you. Th then guilt becomes something that takes life from you. And so what I'm asking you to, to realize is that some of that stuff behind you you need to leave that behind you. It's, a, it's the old analogy of driving a car. That when you're driving a car, it's good now and then to check the rear view mirror. But, but the way forward is in front of you. I mean, even his name. Take his name, Joshua. Even the name Joshua. Do you know that, that Joshua is the very first person in the Bible to actually have the name of God in his name? Yeshua uh, is Yahweh saves, or you might know it as Jehovah saves. Yeshua is the same name of one coming. This, just the very name of the book, points us to a true and better Joshua who would not only lead people, but would go to the cross and die for people, die on the cross in the place of sinners. Here's the gospel, this is what we believe that Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. And any sinner that believes that and turns from sin, any sinner can be saved. And, and Joshua points us there. And so I just want to give some encouragement to you. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian that, that in Christ, you, you keep going forward. You can't live your life in the past. I'm going to give you a second thing to consider. How are you going to keep going forward? Well, here's number two. Number two, we can't live being intimidated. Intimidated. We live in a world that's going to further and further intimidate Christians. You've got to be careful that you don't believe the lie. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, if you, if you believe not only in the inerrancy of Scripture, but if you believe that the Bible is sufficient for you, then the world around you is going to do all it can to intimidate you. 
It will tell you you're on the wrong side of history. You have the wrong set of morals. You and I must learn to reject that kind of intimidation. I mean, let me show where I get that in, in, in this passage. The Bible says that Moses is dead. Well, now everything is on Joshua. His task is monumental. He, he's got to lead the people over the Jordan. You'll read it later. While the Jordan is in flood stage, once he gets across it, jo Joshua's been there before. He, remember him and Caleb? They went there and spied out the land. He knows what it's like. He knows there are giants there. Once you get across that flood stage river, you've got to go settle that land. You've got to defeat the giants. You've got to get the people settled. You've got to divide them up. You've got to get them standing on solid moral ground. And Joshua is not the man that Moses was. It would be terribly intimidating to be the assistant to a leader like Moses. I mean, I mean, Joshua has seen plenty of action. He fought the Amalekites in Exodus, 4, uh, Exodus 17. Joshua was the only person that went up on the mountain with Moses in Exodus 24. He witnessed a whole lot of things on Mount Sinai. Joshua was a proven leader. I mean, he was one of the 12 spies that went into the land and only two came back with a good word. Him and him and Caleb were the only optimistic one, so at least he's got that going for him. But, but he knew Moses, and he knew that Moses had seen God face to face. That he had gotten so close to God that the glory of God had, had affected Moses so much that, that the people said, put a veil over your face. That's how much glory was coming off Moses' face. Joshua didn't have anything like that. Nobody ever said to Joshua... You need to cover your face. Moses was a colossal spiritual giant. And Joshua was just a faithful, hard worker. You set Moses up and Joshua was a small man compared to his predecessor. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a leader. He wasn't a miracle worker. He didn't have any great record of leading the people through terrible circumstances. He didn't meet face to face with God. He was just a plain soldier. How easy. We do this all the time. People do this all. How easy it is to compare yourself to other people and thereby start feeling insecure about who you are. How easy it is to think about great leaders in different times and how other people are being used. Or maybe you can look and see how other people are being blessed and you wonder, why, why, why isn't that happening to me? The preacher said that the tools change. It's the, master. it's the master's hand. He puts a hammer down and he picks up a pair of pliers. He's doing a different job with a different person. He lays one tool aside, Moses is dead, and he picks up another, Joshua. Moses is dead, but Joshua is alive. Now, I just want to talk to those of you that sometimes feel intimidated either by the world or by the circumstance, or you feel like that, that somebody else has it better than you. You see, what, what Paul said... 
What Paul said is that we worship by the Spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus and we, we put no confidence in the flesh. So what's got a hold of you? What, what, are, you, what are you insecure about? What are you, what's bothered you so much that it's affected your, your walk? What are you intimidated by? What are you... What do you, what do you um, I want to tread lightly, but I think it needs to be said. What are you anxious over? Could it be that that becomes a form of, of self-centeredness? I mean, sometimes we think about self-centeredness. We think about someone who thinks about themselves all the time. And usually they're thinking really good things about themselves. Or they want everybody to do something for them. So we think that level of self-centeredness. But self-centeredness can also be you being so insecure because all you can think about is your own deficiencies and what you're not getting or what you don't have. Could it, could it be that that's a form of self-centeredness? Could it be that you've forgotten? You've forgotten the, to trust the one who created you? Could it be that you've forgotten to trust the one who redeemed you at the cross? The one who will say, in Jesus the promises are yes and amen, it, the one who will say, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you? Look, you, you can't move forward if you're living in the past. We can't live in the past. You can't move forward if you're living in intimidation. We, we can't live intimidated. I'm going to press a little further on that with this third point. It's just a short one. Number three, we can't live clamoring for validation. Validation. All of us like to be validated in some way to, to told that we have value, that we mean something to someone. But if you live for that, it'll take you down a bad road. We, we can't live for validation. We can't look for the world to validate our our morals because they won't. We can't look to those around us to validate what we believe. We have the Bible for that. Uh, let me show you where I get that. When you read verses 1 and 2, I touched on it earlier, but when you read verses 1 and 2, look at how Moses is described and then look at how Joshua is described. So just look at it with me right there, verse 1. After the death of Moses, here's his description. He is the servant of the Lord. You get down to there in verse 1. The Lord said to Joshua, look how he's described. Well, he's the son of Nun, and he is the assistant to Moses. Moses has the title, servant of the Lord. Joshua is the assistant. Read the Bible 18 times in the whole Bible, you'll see Moses called the servant of the Lord. 14 times in the book of Joshua, Moses is called servant of the Lord. It is a title. And Joshua, keep flipping through the pages of Joshua. You'll get to the very end of Joshua, Joshua 24. And finally, near the time that Joshua dies, he finally gets the title servant of the Lord. You know what, Joshua's success, it won't be his ability. It'll be his devotion. F furthermore, 
This reminds us to not be concerned with titles and, and, and recognition, to not even be concerned with making sure that people see that we've done something good and then thank us for it. As nice as those things are, man, I, I, it's a really great thing to be thanked. I came in this morning, checked the mailbox on the way in, uh, in my office, and a nice card that was just a thank you note. That, that is a really, I mean, it's a great thing to hear, but we don't, I mean, there were hundreds of people that served here yesterday. They didn't do it for recognition. Isn't that, what, isn't that what Paul said when he wrote to the church at Colossae and especially when he addressed the servants? Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. He told them, whatever you do, work heartily as if you're working for the Lord and not for man. You see, we find... We find contentment in who you are and where you live and what God has given you. And you live your life for the Lord and not for other people. That was a, that was a third one. I, I got through it quickly because I wanted to spend some time on this fourth point. How are you going to move forward? Number four is that we can't live in fear. Can't live in fear. You get that when you read the passage from verse 6 to verse 9, three times God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous. Why is he telling them that? Well, you read verse 3, and, and in verse 3, God has promised, Joshua, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to give the land to you. In fact, as you read verse 3, God says it like this, I have already done it. You're going to go in. Verse 3 reads in the past tense. I'm commanding you to do something that I actually have already taken care of. Now, when you read verse 4, read verse 4, and there you see the description, the boundaries of the land. And it is a huge land. The people of Israel never actually take all of the land because they are disobedient. You find it in Judges and read about it in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. They never do conquer all of the land. Now, once it gives the borders to, to Joshua, you think about this, it seems impossible. The Jordan's in the flood, flood stage, giants in the land, the people are rebellious. It seems impossible. Now, let me pause here and ask the question, what is it? What's it going to take to get you over the hump? Some of you feel like that the fog is never going to lift. It just seems impossible. I think this passage right here, you, you'll want to drill into this. I think this passage right here helps because he talks about trust. Three things I want you to trust. Verse 6, you'll see, for you to get over the hump, you're going to need to trust God's promises. Trust God's promises. Verse 6, verse 7, 8, 9, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous. Why should he be strong and courageous? Because verse 6, God says to Joshua, I'm going to use you. I'll cause this to happen. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. It's a promise. Now, for believers, I want to talk to all of you that are Christians here. Not everybody. This doesn't apply to everyone. Only to Christians. If you are a Christian sitting in this room, 
then the promises in the Bible are yes and amen in Christ. They are yours. There are promises here that you know from the Bible. For instance, if you are in Jesus Christ, you're a Christian, the promise is that God loves you. This is a promise. If you're in Jesus, the, the promise is that God has redeemed you or, or purchased, or if you prefer, He's adopted you. Hey, look, if you are in Christ, that means you've put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then God has forgiven you. There's something beautiful and cleansing and freeing about forgiveness. To have the weight of sin lifted off of your heart and shoulders. Forgiveness. If you are in Christ, the promise is that God is sanctifying you. That means making you more like Christ through the hard things, the terrible things, the good things, the friends, the ones that you thought were your friends and are not your friends anymore. He's using every bit of that. If you are in Christ, the promise is that He will use you. If you're in Christ, you hurt. The promise is that He will comfort you. He will heal you. Look, there's a, there's a better day coming. He will restore you. You can trust His promises, but there's something else here. Don't look away. Keep looking down at verse 7 and 8. You not only trust His promise, but you... You trust God's Word. You see, see, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. That is to say, it's God speaking to us. This is how God reveals Himself through the Word. We also believe in the sufficiency that, that it is enough to get you there. You can trust His Word. I mean, you read verse 7 and 8 and how, how God commands Joshua. See what He tells him in verse 7? Be strong and courageous. How are you going to do it? Here's how. Verse 7 being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you might have success wherever you go. That's discipline in your life. Are you, are you disciplined? Are you adding these spiritual disciplines so that you can be sustained, so that you can walk through the dark time? Do you have, have time with God's Word and you hear God speaking to you? Are you committed, not turning to the right or to the left? Are you, are you consistent so that wherever you go, if you're going off to college or in the workforce or, or you're just living your life, we, we should not only have all of that, you should be conversant with the Bible. You see what he says, what God says to Joshua in verse 8? Look at me, verse 8. This book of the law, it should not depart from your mouth. You should meditate on it. That is to say, you ought to be reading the Bible to such a degree you come across these pages, you, and you run across a story that you know, and it's like you, you, you've sat down with an old friend, and, and you're renewing these things that you already know. I've been reading my devotional life right now. I'm reading in the book of John, and you get to John 3, and the story of Nicodemus. And it's one of those stories you just love because you can hear the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus sitting down with an old friend. Not only that, you should be saturated with the Word of God. What God says here is you should meditate on the Word. Meditate. Now, when you hear the word meditate, you might um, think about an Eastern mystic meditation. That's not, what, that's, that's not what God is saying here. 
Meditation in the Christian sense is not you emptying your mind. Meditation in the Christian sense is actually you filling your mind with God's Word. That word meditation, it literally means to mutter under your breath, to say over and over. To have the Word of God, to, to, to talk about the works of God, to focus on God, to, to have the Word of God so familiar that you say it. You speak the praises of God. So we, we trust God's promises. We trust God's Word. And you need to trust God's presence. Verse 5, verse 9. Circle them both. If, you, if, you're, if you're okay with underlining verse 5 and verse 9. All of the promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Do you see it in verse 5? Isn't this what God says? God tells Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with, beautiful word, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Jump over to verse 9. You see it again. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. How can I be strong and courageous? Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You take that promise, you can claim those promises. That God is with you. God said it to Isaac. God said it in Genesis to Jacob. God said it to Moses. God said it to Joshua. God said it to Gideon. God said it to Solomon. God says it to His people. Isaiah 43, 2. You should know this verse. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame will not consume you. With you. Put your finger there. You draw a straight line over to the Gospel of Matthew. There in the Gospel of Matthew, there's Jesus the righteous. Jesus the righteous teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus the righteous performing miracles throughout the book of Matthew. Jesus the righteous being crucified, nailed to a cross in the place of sinners. Jesus the righteous dead, paying the penalty for sin. Jesus the righteous on the on the third day, rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And the last thing he said to the Christians following him. You know it as the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, Christian, I am with you. In Christ, we keep going forward. We can't live in the past. We refuse to be intimidated. We're not looking for validation from the world. And we certainly don't live in fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear Perfect love is Jesus. If you're going to live in this world, 
If you're going to make it, you're going to need Jesus. Will you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a time of prayer and confession, I want you to listen just for a moment. For those of you that are believers in Jesus, this, this message was for you to strengthen your soul. There is a way forward. That way forward is putting your trust in God. For those of you that are not believers, this message did not apply to you except to say a way forward can be yours in Jesus. When I say Jesus, what I mean is His perfect life, His death on the cross in the place of sinners. This is the gospel. This is what we believe. God raised Him from the dead. And, and if you're convicted of sin and you understand that Jesus took your place in the judgment of God and you put your faith in Jesus, that's how you are saved. Father, I pray that you would save people. Holy Spirit of God, save people. Call them to yourself. God, I pray for men and women, church members at Hickory Grove, that you would minister to their hearts, you would strengthen them, Lord, that you would heal them, that you would move us forward. Help us to trust. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.